I'm, I'm excited for what uh, God is doing in this place. And um, I just know that today across not just this church, but other Bible-believing churches, there are families that will be restored. There are people who will be healed. There will be people that miraculously will give up addictions. There will be changed lives today. And that's what gets me excited about Resurrection Sunday. A lot of pastors joke about, about this being the Super Bowl of Sundays for pastors. And, and, you know, you've probably been flooded in the mail with maybe the little cards that go out from every church. And, and you got the advertisements, you got all that. But, you know, all of that's great, and it's to draw people so they can hear the gospel. But the truth of the matter is, is no matter where you're at, if you make yourself available to the presence of God, he'll make himself known to you. And that's what I enjoy about serving God every day. I have trials, yes. We sang that song that rises me out of the ashes of defeat. I have felt that. I'm not just feeding you a line. I have felt true defeat in some of the worst senses, and he's rose me out of those ashes. And many of you that have known me and some of you growing up around me know that, that I've been on the other end of, of this thing and running from God. And for me to be standing before you on, on this Easter Sunday, it's just a testimony that no matter who you are, what your past and what your struggle is, God is a miracle-working God, and he will change you. He will change you if you allow him to. And so I'm excited for that. Well, my wife was trying to convince me not to sing this worship song because I don't lead worship. We have a great team. But I just felt, you know, this Sunday, uh, I got a text from our presbyter. So he's over the local pastors for the Assemblies of God. And, and uh, you know, he wanted to congratulate me on something and, and it's special to today. And so I, I just thought of the song. It goes a little bit like this. Na, 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 na. Hey, 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 goodbye. Na, na, na. Now, some of you are feeling like you just destroyed any spiritual significance. Well, the reason is this is the last Sunday, Easter Sunday, last Resurrection Sunday in the Donut Shop building. Amen. Amen. Awesome. We, we, for those of you that may be new here, we've been for almost a year now, it'll be coming up a year, been constructing a new campus right next to Gamble Elementary School within eyesight of the Benville West High School. We're the incognito building that didn't put the future home of sign up there because it took us so long to get past the mud pit phase. We had this big pit there excavating dirt. I didn't really want to claim to the public that that's where we're going yet. Now it's looking good. Now I'm about ready to stick a big old sign up there that says this is where we're headed. Um, our pride is not in us or in our accomplishments, but God's been gracious to this church. We have seen souls saved. We have seen people freed from addiction. We have seen people's lives change. We've walked journeys with people through, through many, many trials and struggles. And this is a church I'm proud to be a part of, not in a bad, sinful pride, but because you have also blessed my family and walked through some tough life journeys with us. And so um, I'm just celebrating the fact that while we only have 88 seats possible in this sanctuary, we're moving to 270 seats. We'll be able to for a while, we'll go, until we outgrow it, we'll be able to all have one service again to kind of be together uh, instead of two services. A lot of good things happening. <coughs> but if you're here this morning and uh, maybe you sought this place out uh, because uh, you're just looking for a place for Easter, um, maybe there's struggles you're going through that either family know of or don't know of. But I want you to know that it's not because of us, but because the risen Savior is here this morning. I, I'm pretty sure you felt his presence in the worship. And so there is hope. And while things may not all come together just today, we all know sometimes, like the story of Job, we may walk a while through the valley of shadow of death. But there is hope. There is hope. If a, if a pastor's kid turned biker, then turned back to preacher, can stand before you feeling blameless, 
and righteous, not because I never mess up, because I just know his grace is sufficient, has covered me. And so I come to you confidently today with the word of God. I come to you confidently knowing that if you are in a struggle, that the Holy Spirit can light me up, give me a word for you, and pierce through to that heart. And it's not by my power or by my might or by my being good at it, but the Holy Spirit has brought you here today to speak to your heart and get through to you. And so that's what we're going for today. I want to take a little different approach to an Easter sermon today. And anybody that knows me, I do a lot of things a little different. And I want you to stick with me. <laughs> this is my heckling section right here. It, it resides in this chair, just so you know. If you're new here today and you hear little comments, it's okay. We're not at war. It's, it's just all in good fun. Good thing is Danny drives for a living, so I only get a portion of that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll give it back. I'll give it back. Listen, let me just... Let me just finalize that previous conversation with the little thing, and this is just something I feel like saying. You know, I started recently wearing a suit jacket, and I'm not going to make it weird about clothes or, you know, hey, we're a comfortable place and all that stuff, you know. We're trying to be trendy or cool. But listen, you come here as you are because all we care about is that God is getting through to your soul and that we are changing. So I want that to, be, I want that to resound to everyone today. This church is about our lives changing and drawing closer to God. And everything else, past, the struggles you have, we all got them, okay? So I, I want to talk about the condition of the world we live in compared to Jesus' time. Because when I grew up in church, I always had this feeling like I, I had a hard time connecting to Jesus because I'd seen pictures of the Middle East and of Jerusalem and those places and of Jesus' time. And I just thought, I don't know how I can connect to this guy who, yes, he, he came as God in the flesh, came in the flesh and lived. But, you know, I just felt like his world was so much different than mine. But you know, as I've grown and matured, I realize that no matter what stage of people on this planet there are, that when you have moms and dads and kids and you're trying to make relationships work and you're trying to feed your family and you're trying to provide and all those things, that we all have some of the same emotions, same feelings, same struggles. We all encounter the hardships. And so on some levels, we can connect with Jesus and that culture and what he experienced because much of what he experienced is exactly the same as what we experience today. Especially if we start looking at the religious, the sociological things there, the economic and the political ideologies that exist today, and we can find similarities to Jesus' time. We can find things that were happening in their politics and in their culture that were the same. And so I struggled with doing this sermon this morning because there's some that are coming and every church wants to wow you with a great sermon so you come back and you'll grow and, and in good intentions. But this almost will sound a little bit like a little history or a little you know, some kind of le lesson here. And I don't want you to start uh, lulling to sleep thinking that we're, we're going through non-important details. My goal is for you to connect with Jesus today and understand that he knows what you're going through. He understands. You know, in his time, it's just like there's a shift from religious freedom to regulated tolerance. You know, the Roman Empire um, ruled over uh, God's people. They were in captivity. And even though we are a free nation and we know we have the freedom of worship, we can see the changing tides that now you're not really so free to worship as you want. Because if it starts to make anybody uncomfortable, then you become the enemy. And if it starts to infringe on the government's rights, then, then there's a discussion, there's a problem, there's maybe a, a protest, there's something, or a change in a bill, or, or no more prayer in schools. And we've seen this, this gradual change. 
So we see that, this religious, and then we have religious leaders that, you know, our younger generations have seen that even religious leaders can get to the point where they start to bend to the rules of the government and they want to keep the pressure off them. Next thing you know, they're almost just like one of them. We're not anti-government in this church, by the way. But I'm just letting you know that, that there's some real issues that we see. And, and so, you know, these religious leaders begin bending the truth at first to uh, reduce the risk. There's church organizations now, not just individual churches, but denominations, starting to say, we used to believe this was truth in the Bible, and now we're making a huge shift this way. And the social issues, the common people of the country moving to a liberalistic view that they determine what their God should look like and, and, and what, their, what he should act like in their life. And basically what they're saying is, is I will sign up for a God that fits in, the, in my life and basically looks and acts as if I, I want him to. But I don't want anybody else's God. I want anybody else's version of that God. Economic issues. We're seeing a greater divide between the very rich and the very poor. We're seeing, we're seeing the middle class begin to disappear. We've seen this happening. Jesus' time, same thing. We're describing, in all these things, we're describing ourselves in our times, and we're describing Jesus' times, what, what he was seeing. Heavy taxation and control of its people seen by the government as a fix-all to money management. If we just have enough taxes, the government can take care of the people. And that's what, that Jesus' time, that's what was happening. Then you have the, the political side of that, the nation electing based on what will bring them better financial gain. You know, you know uh, presidents and leaders and kings, uh, you begin to elect them based on what will financially help us, not what will morally help us, not what spiritually will help us. And so you come down all this and who was Jesus? We know that even atheists of today will not deny, historians will not deny that there was a, a, a physical Jesus, a man named Jesus. And a lot of these things are true about him. They know it's just the miracles, the supernatural. Whether he was truly God's son is the debate. But no one debates there was a Jesus and a lot of these events happened. It's just when, when the waters parted from Moses even, go back to Moses. Well, there is some natural explanation for that. So that's what the debate is. But who is this Jesus? Well, he was a Palestinian Jew. He would have grown up with stories of conquest and oppression. And these stories recount, recount the many waves of foreign invasion. Uh, they, they sought to, the, the ones that sought to subjugate the Jews, uh, the Jewish people from the Persians, the Greeks, the Babylonians, the Romans, always ended up in captivity, always trying to get free. Much like our story of freedom from uh, the, British, uh, the, uh, the British and the birth of this country. And we see World War I and World War II in Korea where not only we were fighting for our independence from the British, but then we begin to fight for other, other countries' freedoms. So, so Jesus was seeing these things in his time. And, and then the Jewish identity also rested on stories of the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And again, when Moses led the children of Israel out, out of the wilderness, remember when the Bible said in the Old Testament that God was telling them, you need to teach your children about these things or they'll forget what I've done for my people. And likewise, we think about our story of our country and we think of um, you know, uh, our forefathers like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. And they had stories that they recounted successful uh, rulers like Saul and David and Solomon. However, history records that they are more times than not the victims and not the victors. 
And then the Hebrew identity was maintained as is with most oppressed people through a deep spiritual conviction. This conviction was often uh, termed the covenant theology, the belief that Yahweh had chosen them to play this unique role in the history of the world. But they, they either believed in two ways, that either the Yahweh, the, the Messiah, was coming back to literally kick the physical tail of the Romans, set up an earthly kingdom there, or there were some that believed, kind of like we do, that, that there'd be a new heaven, new earth, but they believed it was happening right then. They didn't know that there was a, uh, that there was a distant time coming, that there'd be many generations yet to come. And so this was the system of power in which the family of Herod the Great grew to prominence. Although half-Jews, the Herodian family was detested by the Jewish people for it, it was a tyrannical rule. It was... It was also because of its key role in selling out the Jewish people to, to foreign heritage, or their heritage to foreign countries. You know that in our past, past leaders, there have been Americans that feel like some of our leaders have sold us out to other countries. So this is what the Jewish people are going through. I mean, some of our own leaders are selling us out to the Romans for their own gain. This was a difficult time for them. In fact, one of Herod's sons, Archelaus, he was so brutal in his exercise of power in Jerusalem that Rome, that the Roman Empire, the controlling people of Rome, the leaders said, man, their guy is so harsh. We got to get one of ours in there. We need to replace their guy with one of ours because, I mean, he's just terrible to his own people. And that, who they replaced him with, was Pontius Pilate, who we know in the story of the crucifixion of Jesus played a significant role in that. Another one of Herod's sons, Antipas, he was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. So it was that same Antipas also that was account, he was basically accredited for the mocking of Jesus at the crucifixion. So this family, who was supposed to be the representation of the Jews, of their, of their power, were worse on them than even the occupying uh, the country that, uh, that they occupied in. And, and here's the thing. Judaism at the time of Jesus was a complex mixture of social and political and religious ideologies. They had the same mixture we do, that there were people who were so passionate about their religion and it conflicted with their politics, and so, so many people uh, passionate about their politics that conflicted with the religion, and they had these, these struggles. And then to top it off, we see our riots. We see all these things happening where these people that are very zealous for whatever they believe the zealot movement took the revolutionary option. They, they advocated outwardly towards violence and armed rebellion. They were wanting to rid Israel of Roman oppression and, and nothing else they figured would bring final liberation to the Jewish people. So depending on the point of view, zealots were looked upon as either freedom fighters or terrorists. One might think of the Tamil Tigers in Sri Lanka or the activities of the Irish uh, Republican Army during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. You know, so some people, some people, these zealots were heroes, and some, they were terrorists. Certainly, Jesus had zealots among his followers. We know of Simon the Zealot. And moreover, Jesus came into conflict with both the Jewish temple and the Roman uh, state. So some that didn't know Jesus well enough in his teachings would have almost attributed him to be a, uh, that he was executed as a zealot revolutionary. But Jesus wasn't violent. Jesus wasn't trying to bring a, a, a military might. Jesus posed a more radical threat to the established order than an armed person might do. 
his words were challenging the hearts of men to change. And that, my friends, is the world we live in, where we have people who believe a government can change the lives of men. Or maybe programs, 60 and 90-day programs, where, where maybe uh, our court systems can change people. Or maybe uh, this diet, that diet, the, uh, what's his name, uh, Texas Ranger guy, infomercials. Yeah, just do check horses to work out. That'll change your life. We've got all these ideas of how we want to change our lives and make it better, but so much ignoring of the true fact of the matter that you will change men when their hearts change. We had another group, the Sadducees. And yes, those of you that are in first service, they're in this service. I know what you're going to say. They are very sad, you see. In Sunday school, a lot of times you made this little thing. You know, the Sadducees were very sad. The reason they say that, they were great pragmatists of the day. They were wealthy lay nobles. They were um, priests and aristocrats. They sought to conserve their wealth and power through compromise with Rome. Basically, they wanted to get along good with Rome, and they wanted to keep their wealth and keep their power. And politically speaking, this was the most realistic option for them in the natural. Most of the members of the Sanhedrin were from the Sadducee group. So in many ways, the Sadducees could be described as the least religious group. And the evidence of that is they didn't believe in people rising from the dead. Little problem if you're going to believe in the story of Jesus, an empty tomb, rise from the dead, if you just foundationally don't believe that people rise from the dead. So, so that, that was where the Sadducees landed. And these were people that were viewed by the public as at least somewhat religious, but they were just the, the least religious. They were committed to the Jewish faith on the basis of the earlier books of the Bible, the Torah, moreover, as the people of the top pecking order. Basically, we have the real truth in the first books, and everybody else is getting it wrong, uh, and we'll just hold to the fact that we know better than everybody else how to follow God. In the Gospels, it's evidently the Sadducees who are the main opponents of Jesus at the time of his trial and death. And, and they rightly saw Jesus' radical brand of religion. It threatened their power and status. It really did. And then you've got the Pharisees. And they were not very fair, you see. The Pharisees were in many ways the, the idealists of the Jewish society. They were the theologians. So they were the ones that really put heart to study. And they would study a, of God's word and then they would try to feed to the people, this is what God's word says. This is what it means. In general, despite their bad press in the Gospels, the Pharisees sought to live a life of spiritual purity by meticulously following the Torah, the Jewish law. They didn't believe in compromise with the Romans, nor the revolutionary activities of the Zealots. No doubt their emphasis was on the law and that, that they, they resulted in legalism that, that may turn and become a pretext for hypocrisy. Basically, they're saying, you've got to live perfectly for God according to his word, but yet they couldn't do it. And people could see that. You, you can always see through a hypocrite. Those people that are telling you to do one thing and they do another. And so this was the Pharisees. This was, this was another group that was seen as religious leaders of the time. Then there's one group that aren't talked about a whole lot, the Essenes. And, and these were people who finally, uh, with all this mess, you got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Roman government, all this. They were basically the monastery, the monks. They were like, let's just go live separate. Let's just kind of cut off ties with all this. 
Um, some might would try to see them as the hippies of, of that day because they had really resigned to just not be a part of any of the current day culture. And then there's a group at the time, the Qumran community, who lived uh, an ascetic life. They, they were persons who practiced severe self-discipline. They abstained from about everything. And this was similar to John the Baptist. He was a guy that wore the, you know, wore the camel hair and all the, the weird big belt. He wasn't very fashionable at the time. Ate locusts, lived out in the wilderness. Basically, I'm going to prove to God how hardcore I can be. And so Jesus' public ministry demonstrates his decision to engage directly with the wider members of a society. This is our evidence that Jesus doesn't just come to New Song today for one particular people. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Pharisee or a Sadducee. It doesn't matter whether you've been uh, trying to live separate and be hardcore for Jesus or whether you've been caught up in politics and just choosing whatever makes your life better. He is here to engage and interact and change each and every life. But we need to see, nonetheless, Jesus' distinctiveness needs to be appreciated in the context of his Jewish life and times. I mean, this was the context. This was a context in which religion and politics were intertwined. But Jesus was coming to point to only one way for all people. You see, just like the church today, we want to look at religion and politics as, as one and intertwined. But what Jesus is saying today is this is all temporary. And if you're looking to earthly kings to solve your problems, you're looking in the wrong direction. Because there is only one king in the end, and there's an eternity, and he will rule forever no matter who opposes him. We know how, who gets the victory in the end. And so all this toiling you're doing and all these things about picking your sides, and, 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 and Jesus came to show them that way. Like the United States, the world Jesus ministered to had transitioned from a land where the moral religious culture of the common people shaped the nation and the government, which were appointed to lead them, to a land where government had taken control of the people's freedom, economy, and working on taking control of their faith. So like Jesus' day and time, our freedom to worship God is on the way to being barely permissible only to prevent complete revolt. The Roman government only wanted to keep them from revolting because they knew in the past that that could be nasty. Separation of church and state had been twisted to mean that the church exists. No, I mean God exists as long as he, he doesn't inconvenience anyone. It was a time where the culture was on a long journey of change from religious freedom to religious oppression. And just as in the times of Jesus, this created a condition that was viral. It was spreading to the entire world. You just look in the last five years, the attitude towards Christianity from where it was. Now some of you know I don't talk like this a lot. I don't, I don't get into politics from the pulpit. I don't do this. But, but on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, I felt, I felt I didn't know who was going to be here, but I felt God was trying to speak to the heart and say, look, you're concerned. You're highly concerned about the environment you're bringing a family up. You're highly concerned about the environment you live in. You're highly concerned about where this world is going. But you need to understand that the hope of the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that is all temporary. If you put your focus on the risen king, you know that the victory is coming. Over a vast amount of time, this viral thing, this, it was totally, they were totally unaware it had overtaken this virus known as sin. 
the condition it, it, it created is known as separation from God, that literally people didn't realize that they were continually in this process of sin which is separating them from God. And it was a fatal condition. Eternal suffering hung in the balance. The world needed to be rescued. And while some of them were looking to an earthly rescue, one that would just set up a kingdom here, there's only one who could rescue the city of Jerusalem and the world. And also following his father's strategy, he set on a rescue mission to establish him as truly the God of his people. And here's the thing. Jesus came on a mission. It was a mission that would never be enough. There would never be enough sacrificial lambs under the old system. There would never be enough sacrificial animals for all the sin in the world. And there had to be one perfect lamb. There had to be one perfect sacrifice to, to account for all the sin of man, to offer grace that would cover every sin. And nothing could compare to sacrificing the Son of God for you and me. Nothing. You see, there are men and women with names and lives of their own, struggles of their own, just like ours. They lived in a different time, a different place. They had the Son of God right there in front of them. They themselves cursed Jesus, beat him, stripped him of his clothes, ripped the flesh from his body. His body was broken, his blood spilling out on the very ground where he had offered them truth about the condition of their lives. He had offered them the freedom and the, and the, and the rescue right there where they crucified him. And Jesus, the Son of God, was there to make a way, a way opposite from religious ritual, grounded in the true nature of the kingdom of heaven. Communion with the Heavenly Father, your Creator, daily. To wake up with a song in your heart, to wake up even with the struggles and worrying about what the boss is going to do, all that, but knowing and having a peace that passes all understanding that He is in your corner and you're just passing through. If this happened today, if Jesus came today in our culture, and, and, and if He came here and this happened to Him here, the only people held accountable for the death of Jesus would be the, the ones there that actually physically took place in the beating and the crucifixion. If later, after he died, they found, hey, he was innocent, that's the only people that would be held accountable. Not the bystanders, not the pregnant ladies with an innocent child in their belly, but both the, the mother and child, neither, neither one held accountable. You see, that's the way our system works, and we think it's a good system, but it's a failed system because the truth is that everything we do against God is taking part in the crucifixion, the breaking of the body, and the spilling the blood of Jesus. Let me ask you this. If you were to try to, for 24 hours, you wanted to rid the world of every type of sin, I'm even talking down to just uh, coarse talking or, or belittling someone or, or bad attitudes, whatever. If you want to rid yourself of that and you say, I'm going to, for 24 hours, we're going to look for one person in this whole world that could go for 24 hours without one, even the most minute sin. You'd be disappointed. Not one person could go any length of time without somehow taking part in what broke the body and spilled the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you that it wasn't the crown of thorns that caused Jesus humiliation and broken heart. It wasn't their blows that, that they threw that caused his body to break. It wasn't the whips that caused his flesh to be ripped from his bones. It wasn't the spear that caused his blood to flow from, to, to the ground. You see, those were just merely instruments where the transfer of the sin of you and me and every man had been transferred to the body of Jesus. It was our sin 
It was their sin, our children's sin, their children's sin, our grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts, everyone's sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1, 20-23, And by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. Listen to this. This includes you, who were once so far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him, by your evil thoughts and actions. That means even by our impure thoughts, our evil actions, that we separate ourselves from God. He has done this through the death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That is amazing to me that, that I know that he can, he can call me blameless, that I can be righteous before him. It doesn't mean I didn't mess up. It means his grace has covered that because I received that free grace. I accepted that. It says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. That means when you hear the preached word of the gospel as you hear today, saying don't, don't, don't drift away from that. Don't forget what his words are telling you. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. See, Jesus foreshadowed this mission he was on in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which seals the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. I mentioned Pilate. And you've got this scene, and whether it was a cistern or a bowl, but he had water there. And when, when the church, the religious leaders in the church, when those who just last week were raising their palm branches and crying out, holy, 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 they were screaming out for his crucifixion. Pilate, so amazed, got the sense he didn't want to be any part of this, and he signified that by taking his hands in this bowl and trying to wash his hands, saying, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this man. But you know what? Pilate didn't understand that many times we don't understand. We try through so many ways to wash our hands of it. We try to, we try to put on the right clothes, go to the right church, do the right things, all the time thinking if we just mimic what we're supposed to do to be Christians, and that will work. But, but yet we can't, we can't get away from the fact that we are born with a sinful nature. Even the Apostle Paul said, why do I always do the things I shouldn't do? I can't seem to do the things I should do. You see, I have come to know something very important to my life, that I broke his body with the rebellion of my youth. I ripped the flesh from his bones with, with all, through all the lies and hateful and loving, destructive words of my tongue, that my tongue created those lashings that 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 those words have come out of my mouth since i was old enough to speak i myself i pierced his side with the spear which is my heart and my mind leading me into temptation all the evil places i let my feet take my my body 
All the sinful pleasures I allowed my eyes and ears to feast on. I broke his body. I shed his blood. It was me, C.J. Brummett, your pastor. I broke his body and I shed his blood. As the worship team comes and those that are going to help us with communion, I want to talk just for a moment about what communion means for us, what we believe from Scripture. In some organizations, they may believe that when you take the elements, they actually become the blood and body of Christ. We don't believe that here. We believe Jesus is very clear. They were drinking a natural drink. They were eating a natural bread. And, and his point was, do this in remembrance of me. When, when you eat together, remember what I did for you on the cross. That you never forget. And the significance of that room, he knew what was getting ready to happen. He knew that his body was getting ready to be broken. His blood was getting ready to be shed. And he knew that they were guilty of it even his disciples. And he wanted to offer them this. Remember of why I did it. I did it for the forgiveness of everyone's sin. I've said already that I broke his body and I spilled his blood. And here's the difficult question with people that come here regularly and and some new folks today. I know this will be stepping on toes, as you might say, but if I'm asking myself that hard question, did I break his body? Did I spill his blood? Then I believe everyone, when confronted with Scripture, needs to ask themselves that same question. Did you break his body? Did you spill his blood? In other words, are you guilty of the same sins I am, that my tongue has lied, my, my, my body has sinned against God, my mind... Everything about me at one time or another has sinned against God. So I am someone who needed a risen Savior to offer that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice of the the sacrificial lamb that was pure and spotless. Jesus offered me to stand before you and to say, today I can say with confidence that I am cleansed, that in His eyes I am righteous, I am forgiven, And that through the power of the Holy Spirit that He gives me, I can speak into your life, not with my words, but His. How awesome is that? How awesome is that to know that you could today make a covenant with God that would literally change everything about your life, where when you encounter those people who don't believe, literally the power of the risen Savior, the power of God is speaking through you. That your words are no longer just your words, but it's the power of God. It says His words will not fall to the ground. And you know, often I, I meet people, whether it's, it's an addiction or something they're dealing with, something they can't turn loose of, and, and maybe it's just they can't quite let go of themselves. And I say, you know what? I'm going to tell you this, that tonight when you lay your head on your pillow, you're not going to be able to forget these words we're talking about. And they look at me and I say, look, I'm not trying any trick here. I just believe God's word. His word's not fall the ground. You may give me all kinds of reasons why you can't do this or you can't do that. But the truth of the matter is, His words are going to turn over and over in your spirit because you've heard the truth and you're confronted with a decision. And now every day of your life, you'll make a decision to either follow Him or turn away from Him. Every day from that point when you hear the truth, you make a decision. I will either turn away or I will follow. I will turn away or I will follow. And while that seems heavy and that can seem like a burden, I'm telling you it's a story of hope because... I'm telling you from a guy that gets up in the morning and I just can't help it. God's already put a song in my heart. I have bad mornings, yes. Anytime I let myself get away, my selfishness, anytime that sinful nature rears its head, I have a tough day. 
but my family, we're growing closer to God. My kids are worshiping God. They're being filled with the gifts of the Spirit. Things are happening in our family, not because we're pastors, because we're releasing our will to His and saying, every day I want to be changed, God. And do you want that for you? Do you want that for your family? That's what He offers on the cross. I want us to take a moment before we take these elements. I want to give an opportunity for anyone who is not in right relationship with God right now. Either you've known Him, but you've let your life drift away. This morning, we had someone make a rededication of their life to the Lord, and it's awesome. That means that the angels were rejoicing, that their name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. That means for all eternity, that that brother, we're going to be together. So that same opportunity is here today. Right now, we're going to close our eyes and bow our heads here in a moment, and we're going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads right now. Close our eyes. If there's someone here today, we're not bowing our heads and close our eyes because there's any amount of embarrassment in this. Everybody in here is rooting for you. If you're about to make that decision, this is the greatest thing. We will rejoice with you. If you're here today, you say, I need to either rededicate my life to the Lord, which means I've, I've walked away from Him and I need to be forgiven and be in right relationship with Him, or I've never made that decision, and today I'm ready. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. That's you. Amen, brother. All right. Put your hand down and we're going to look. Anybody else? Is there anybody else here today? You say, I, I need Jesus to be a ruler over my life. I'm tired. I'm weary. I've been trying so hard on my own. I need him. I want him in my life. Anyone else? All right. For that one that raised a hand, I want you to pray with me. You can pray your own words or as I pray, if it helps you to pray. Jesus, I come to you right now, Lord, as one who broke your body and shed your blood through my actions, through my words, through my deeds, through my, my mind, God. Each time I sinned against you, God, and I realize I, I took part in your crucifixion. And today I need forgiveness. God, please forgive me. Make me righteous in your eyes. Lord, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to follow you. Jesus name. Amen. And that right there, brothers and sisters, there's rejoicing in heaven and someone has come back into the fold. And so that is why we rejoice every time a new song. That's what we're doing here. Amen. I want us to take together now as a family of believers. It says again, as they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it and eat it, for this is my body. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then he took a cup and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and, and as we've done here today, and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which seals the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. And we accept that free grace of forgiveness of washing our sins. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. See, that mission, he successfully completed it. Jesus is risen again. He is no longer in the tomb. I think it's interesting. One of the things that happened, though, at the end of that supper is they didn't just end with a meal and a little dinner meant go on home. 
but they sang together. They worshiped together. There's reason to rejoice. Jesus wanted to always remind them that even though what they're getting ready to go through, the hardest thing they go through, that if they will worship together, that there is another day. That the, the days to come are better than the latter. And we can worship together as those who are just passing through this land. Amen? Let's worship together.